Welcome to Kingdom.Think, where we are reading the Bible in one year, and we are in the book of Revelation, so it's good stuff. We're in chapter 2, and we're going to be brave, and we're going to be curious, and we're going to be open-minded, and we're going to be hopeful, and we're going to be encouraged, and we're going to allow the just the curiosity, and we're going to be okay with I don't really, you know, pieces that we don't really get. We're not supposed to get everything because where would be the mystery? You know, then someone could read the Bible one time and that would be that. You're going to have to dig in constantly and just just really contemplate over and over and over. Um, so obviously I can't just summarize. I mean, I could summarize. I would say, hey, chapter two is when the prophecy is speaking to one two, three, four of the seven churches. And he tells them the good things they're doing and he tells them the bad things they're doing. Essentially, that's what's happening in each chapter. I mean, in each section of chapter two. So let's dig in a little deeper because now you start to read, well, what what did he say exactly? Because there's other pieces in it. And then you go, well, he's only speaking to that church. How does that relate to me? Are we not the church? Are we not the body of people? Oh, well, then in that case, what I read about this church and what they did, I feel condemned. Mm, Do you know that's a choice? Because we're not to be condemned, we're to be um, revealed truth so that we can repent. But when you read it, it's easy to just, you can read it like a story, like it's just happening to them. But there will be things that'll kind of like, ooh, I think our culture does that. Or, ooh, I could be guilty of that. Or we don't want to have um, this heavy, heavy condemnation, more of just revelation. (laughs) Um, Revelation. Okay, so here we go. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work. And your perseverance. Well, that's nice. He's acknowledging the church of Ephesus. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I, okay, (laughs) then he's going to correct them. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. 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 (laughs) It doesn't repeat it a bunch of times. I'm just saying that. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But, okay, so what is the lampstand actually? It's a representation of their existence. So when we hear something like the lampstand is going to be removed, that's like their entire existence. It's because the lampstand represents their existence. So why would that happen? Because they have to repent. And if they don't repent, there's obviously consequences because our actions have consequences. And the way they loved at first, they lost their first love and how they served God at the beginning and that kind of thing. How common is that? We become complacent. You know, you get saved, you start going to church, you get involved, you're, you're so reading your Bible, doing all the things, but then you get busy and you lose your first love. Maybe you stop going to church because, hey, you can just watch it online or, hey, I'll just watch a YouTube, but you really don't. You lose your first love, you lose your passion. 
But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Yes, you can dig deeper into who that was. Um, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat food from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's a glimpse into heaven. The tree of life. It's a glimpse into heaven. Okay, so now he's going to talk to the church of Smyrna. These are the words I of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Obviously, rich in spirit, maybe poor in the physical world. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Didn't Satan test Job? Interesting how we're reading the book of Job, and yet he's being tested by Satan, and how his friends are responding because they don't really understand that he's being tested by Satan, so they think he's being punished by God. Grace for the friends and grace for Job, right? Um, but be faithful, Oh, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Life. Again, another clue into life in heaven, life with God. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. By the second death. Okay? Um, The one who is victorious, meaning being victorious, recognizing when it's time to repent. Um, forgiving, loving others, all that, being victorious over the evil of this world in your heart, because God's always looking at your heart. Now he speaks to the church of Pergamum. These are the words to him of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live. I know where you live, (laughs) where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Okay, you can go deeper into who Antipas was. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Oh, here we go. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of Nicolaitans. Repent. Repent again. It's repent. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna, so you will be fed. I will also give that person a white stone with a a name written on it, known only to the one who receives it, like a new identity. A new identity, remember? reading the, The purpose of reading the Bible is for you to know your new identity, who you really are in this kingdom and repent, repent, repent. That means recognizing, um, your sins and, and, and changing your ways and etc. Okay. Being victorious over the evil of this world. 
Um, living in this world, but not of this world. Okay, now he talks to the church of Theatira. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like the burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So we, wow, 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 wow. Okay, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, she was the woman... um, the queen of Israel back in the Old Testament, who led people astray by her seductive nature and her ways. So she represents the spirit of Jezebel, okay, who calls herself a prophet. By her teachings, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. She is the spirit of um, lust and sexual immorality and, yeah, the spirit of Jezebel that causes people to participate in those kind of behaviors. I will strike her children. So her children are the people who follow in her ways or her led in those ways, then all the church will know that I am he who searches hearts. God searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Cause and effect. In this world, there is cause and effect. Um, and that's why so throughout the entire Bible, God's saying I, that he's saying he searches hearts and keeping your heart pure, guarding your mind. That's how you become victorious. Now I say to the rest of you in Theatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings, I have not learned and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. What would be those deep secrets? Um, That would be the occult. That would be all those things that you definitely know what they are the secrets, the the occult practices of Satan. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will, to the end I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have reached authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he's talk, he's spoken to um, one, two, three, four churches already. And there's a, you can just be very interested. You can recognize certain things. You can be like, well, that was kind of mystical. I didn't really understand it. All of it's okay. All of it is okay. Because we're being brave and bold by jumping into the book of Revelations. And being wowed by the end to say, wow, it wasn't really as scary as we thought. Why do the churches, religious people, and our culture act like Revelations is so scary? Maybe that was part of the plan. Who knows? Moving on to Job 33 and 34. Well, we know that his friend Elihu is now going to speak. And a lot of what he speaks, you're going to be like, that makes sense. I agree with him. Great. And then there's going to be some part, well, 
But we know because we have perspective that Job didn't really do anything wrong. However, when he was suffering and being tested, Elihu was like, you don't have the right to say this about God. Now, one thing you can recognize, Job never actually um, rebuked God. He never actually, what do you call it? He never denied God. He simply said, why are you doing this? Why are, you know, why are you making me suffer? I didn't do anything wrong. So he's justifying his behavior. So this Elihu guy, Elihu, kind of sees it as arrogant. Um, like, how dare you do that? Um, he says, I heard the very, okay, I have heard your words. Quote, this is what you said. I am pure. I have done no wrong. I am clean and free from sin. Yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. He fa- fastens my feet in shackles. He keeps close watch on all my paths. This is what Elihu was listening to. He's like, I can't take it anymore. But I'm going to tell you this. Um, but I tell you, in this, you are not right. For God is greater than any mortal. Why do you complain to him? that he responds to no one's words. For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, deep in the sleep, um, he speaks in your ears and terrifying them with warnings, like revelations, to turn them from wrongdoings and keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by a sword. So he's saying, yes, God does speak to you. He does listen to your prayers. He is paying attention, but, but you keep just, he's basically trying to like set him straight. Fair enough. I don't disagree with that, but yet Job did suffer. So he has the right to vent and complain for sure. Okay. Perspective again. Then the person, um, then that person can pray to God and find favor with him. Okay, I'm moving down to verse 26. He's basically saying, yes, you can talk to God. Yes, you can pray. You can pray and God will find favor in him. Um, they will see God's face and shout, shout for joy. He will restore them to full well-being. And they will go to the others and say, I have sinned. I have pers- perverted what is right, but I did not get what I deserved. God has delivered me from going down to the pit. So he's saying, yes, you don't even know the sin you committed. Just admit that you committed some sort of sin and repent and ask and pray to God no matter what, because he's God. Not bad advice. Um, But he just doesn't know that actually Job didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong till he started suffering. Then he started complaining. Could that be considered wrong? Kind of. And that's what they're speaking into. They're speaking into the way he's behaving now during the suffering. Yes, you can be good when times are good, but can you be good when times are not good? That's what the friend is speaking into. So then he proceeds to get a little theological here. Um, No, theological, no, spiritual. (laughs) Let us discern for ourselves what is right. Let us learn together what is good. Um, you were kept saying you're innocent, you're innocent. Um, okay, fine. 
And then finally you said, forget it. He, he's repeating, he's quoting Job. Finally you said, forget it. There's no profit in trying to please God. He says, verse 10, or chapter 34. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from me, far be it from God to do evil, for from the Almighty to do wrong. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings them on them what their conduct deserves. It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. Who appointed him on over earth? Who put him in charge of the whole world? If it were his intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath. So he's saying, why are you even questioning what's happening? Far be it from you to say God is doing wrong or he created the whole world. Why are you spending your time doing that? Instead, pray to God for justice because he's fair. He doesn't pervert justice. If you deserved wrong, you got wrong. If you didn't, well, then just pray. So that's what he's saying. He's just saying, so stop this behavior. But here's an interesting thing that I want to point out. He says in verse 14, if it was his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. Now, I'm going to say, make a side note because that's a powerful thing right here. In quantum physics, they have something called the observer effect. The observer is what makes things move vibrate, be alive. They have also noticed that there is a something in the earth, in the universe, in the world that has this observation on the earth. If this God, actually, scientists are saying, yeah, this is God. This is God. That if God stopped looking at us, breathing on us, humanity would stop living the earth would stop spinning everything would stop but it's god's breath and his spirit that keeps everything alive isn't that so powerful okay i had to say that because it just blows my mind <sighs> yeah yeah okay this is so good what more i'm on chapter 34 it's long yes it's long i'm sorry this is a very long podcast episode probably my longest um, his eyes are on the way of mortals. He sees their every step. Okay, so we're going on to the observer effect. Verse 21, his eyes are on the ways of mortals. He sees their every step. There is no deep shadow, no utter darkness where evildoers can hide. God has no need to examine people further that they should come before him for judgment without inquiry. So he's saying, God, it's almost like God's not judging you. These are just consequences. For, for example, for us to understand the law of gravity. God, when you jump off of a building with no parachute, God's not smashing you to the ground. It's just the ca- cause and effect of the existence of gravity. And that's what he's saying. You don't understand. God is more magnanimous than we could a- even fathom. But his existence, God's... God's, not God's existence, God's observation of our existence is what keeps us alive. So why are you complaining to God? Instead, just pray that things will line up better. Okay, (laughs) so I'm moving down to verse 31. Suppose someone says to God, I am guilty, but will offend no more. Teach me that what I cannot see. If I have done wrong, 
I will not do so again. Should I, should God then reward you on your terms when you refuse to repent? You must decide, not I. So tell me what you know. Men of understanding declare, wise men who hear me. Okay, so he's basically saying, stop trying to blame God for the laws of the universe. Stop trying to justify your behavior. Just know that God is God and and you need to have such an awesome reverence towards God. And just say, if, if I've done anything wrong, make my ways right. Forgive me of anything that I would have done wrong. So that's what forgiveness is. Sometimes you don't even recognize, but you just say, God, if I've done anything wrong, lead my path correct and help me not to do it again. Because oftentimes we have darkness in our heart or something in our heart that we can't even see. So as some commentators think that Elihu was wrong, you might find something that he was right because I do see where he's coming from. And I have gotten such breakthrough and revelation from what he's saying. Because I really was wowed by what I know about quantum physics and that kind of stuff. And what I'm reading here, it's like, yeah, that's so true. This is so true. As I mature in my knowledge, I'm getting new revelation as I'm reading and getting breakthrough. Okay, my friends, this is probably the longest podcast episode. I can't say it's going to be the last one because we're still jumping into revelations and we don't want to skip a beat. So there you have it. This was Job 33 and 34 and Revelations chapter 2. Have a great day and I shall see you soon.